It's like whenever I hear the song Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo, I still laugh about the fact that it's a little turd that says, he can see the love inside of you because he's a piece of poo. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Hello and welcome back to a What the Fork Christmas special, which will simply be known as the What the Fork Christmas Dinner. In tonight's podcast, we'll be taking a break from the reviews and the previews and spreading a little bit of tinsel on the subject of Sunland AFC and hopefully spreading a little bit of Christmas cheer. To join me is the usual rabble and the usual reliable, first and foremost, Brad Sharp. Brad, uh, Merry Christmas, mate. I know it's two days away. It'll be about Christmas time by the time people are listening to this. So Merry Christmas. How are you? Are you okay? Merry Christmas to you as well, mate. Yeah, I'm all good. Uh, finished all my shopping today. So I've got Christmas Eve to wrap it, <laughs> um, which is a, a very manly thing to do, isn't it? Leaving at last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all good, mate. Looking forward to it. Baby's first Christmas. Um, and obviously got Archie as well and all his son and merch. So yeah, very good. Um, and second of all, but never the least, uh, Dave Lawrence, Dave, good Christmas, ready, set, good to go. Yeah, I think so, mate. All the, all the presents bought and wrapped and stuff like that. Maybe it's a little bit of final preparation tomorrow, but yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, well, get the get the Christmas dinner out of the way and get ready for some football after that. I think. Aye, I'm still waiting on three presents to come because uh, every have decided that that's not happening. I ordered them a while ago, but they've just decided it's not happening. So Christmas may be wrecked. I'll let you know by the time you're listening to this telepathically, if it has been. Um, Brad, before we go into the questions and stuff, what's uh, what's your Christmas drink of choice? Like, What's the first thing you drink on a Christmas morning or a Christmas night? It sounds pretty boring. Uh, when we get up, do the presents and things, um, and then we have a croissant, and mm-hmm. my man brings me a bottle of Bucks Fizz. That's what's mm. always happened. Um, not I don't drink the bottle though. I open the bottle, <laughs> and then uh, I pour a glass of Bucks Fizz, um, and then maybe it's just a coffee, really. Um, but when the celebrations get going, it's it's got to be a Bailey's, hasn't it? Yes, I tend to get more drunk Bailey's. on. I tend to get more drunk on a uh, New Year's Eve. I bought. I think it was two years ago. It was whenever you couldn't go to. Uh, other people's houses until Christmas Day. So we had to wait until like the last minute to drive back to Dumfries, which is about an hour and a half drive from here. And I just sat and listened to David Bowie and Queen all that and got absolutely smashed on this like 45% rum. And by the time like we started driving, I was that annoying passenger that kept going, Ashley, can you stop? I need a wee. Ashley, can you stop? I need a wee. Ashley, can you stop? I need a wee. Like the whole way. Um, I bet I bet she's used to that when you're driving backwards and forwards to the stage of my light every week, is she? A little bit, mate, yes. Dave, what's your drink of choice, mate, your first one? I mean, obviously, I think a coffee would be mine as well, in case people are curious. Um, but what would yours be, Dave? Would it be a jug of wine, potentially? <laughs> yeah, same as Brad, to be fair. We've got a Christmas tradition because it's only really the last couple of years, well, last five years that we haven't done um, 
Christmas lunch in the pub. So basically, we uh, we always used to eat our Christmas dinner at like seven, eight o'clock at night. So it's always been a cooked breakfast on Christmas morning with uh, with Prosecco and orange juice. Good old Bucks fizz. Um, and then after that, as the day goes on, I'm, I'm a bit of a gin and tonic bloke nowadays, to be fair. Um, for people wondering what the show is going to be about, obviously, uh, we just want to have a little bit of fun. Obviously, as I said, we'll be spreading, spreading, <laughs> spreading some tinsel and spreading some tinsel um, in today's episode, hopefully. And what I'm essentially going to be doing is posting a series of teasing questions to the lads on today's podcast, surrounded by Christmas-related situations that relate to Sunland. I don't know if that makes any sense. If it doesn't, basically, I'll be asking them things like. Which former players or which current players will they invite to Christmas dinner? And asking them, second of all, to defend some indefensible Sunland opinions and loads of other Christmassy stuff that relates essentially to Sunland. Um, I haven't really decided who's going to go first, so I'm just going to do it just now. I'll go in the order of how I introduced people. I'll go you first, Brad. I'll go you second, Dave, and I'll give my opinion. So the first question on the What the Fork Sunland Christmas Dinner, which has already changed title from the beginning, is which current Sunderland player, coach or manager would you invite to your Christmas dinner and why would you invite them? Oh, um, I'm, 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 I'm going to go with Luke O'Neill. Um, There was a couple of high contenders there. I'm going to go with Luke. Because I know for a fact he'll just bring lots of presents because <laughs> he's so, such a nice man. Um, but I think he's just very down to earth and he would appreciate if your dinner's shit, he would still say it's really, really nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is other contenders, but it's just, you know how much me and Archie love Luke going on. I think it would make his dinner extra special if Luke was there as well. I, I think just... I'll give you the second choice, mate. Who are you going with for your current player, manager, or coach, or anyone associated with someone currently that you would invite to Christmas dinner? I'd imagine um, all 4.7 million of our listeners uh, probably is <laughs> expecting me to say Ross Stewart. Uh so I'd hate to disappoint them, and I'm going to say Ross Stewart, because I just love the bloke. We all know that I love the bloke. I might be able to persuade him to sign a contract. Do you know what I mean? I just reckon, listen, I lived in Scotland for a bit. I didn't mind knocking up a bit of haggis. I'm, I'm game for whatever Ross wants, really, within reasons. I don't want <laughs> him to have to edit anything. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, Ross, go for me. So mine would be, and I have thought about it a little bit, so both Luke and Ross were on my list, but obviously we're not going to choose the same one. So for me, it would be Tony Mowbray. And the reason it would be Tony Mowbray is, for some reason, no matter which household I go to through my 36 years of life at Christmas, especially my adult um, era of Christmas, which sounds ridiculous, by the way, my adult era of Christmas, that's the that's the Christmas title pod. Um, pod title. But... um. I always end up watching just like television and feeling really sleepy and eating like chocolate biscuits with the oldest member and the most wise member of the family, no matter where I am, be it my house, be it Ashley's house, be it my uncle's house. I always end up just having some drinks, eating crap chocolate 
and eating and watching crap TV um, with the oldest and wisest. And I feel like Tony Mowbray is probably the only one that really fits that, and he fits it well. Tony was also one that I, when I was thinking about it, and the main reason would be is because when you sat around the dinner, he would be telling you about different traditions around the UK of what and what happens at Christmas and. When your dessert comes out, he'd be telling you about different types of dessert and what would go re- really good with everything else. He's, <laughs> he would just, it'd be fantastic. And then when he says that, I'd have like Jaffa cakes in the cupboard. He'd be over the moon. Gaffer cakes. Hey. hey. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what Tony loves as well, just because it was a bit of a revelation idea. I bet you, you know, the fruit and nut mix that you have at Christmas, I guarantee you he eats the raisins. Guarantee you, what a blow. Loves the chocolate raisins, doesn't he? he said today, apparently. I, I'm I'm enjoying reading Copley's tweets before the uh, before the the live stream comes up. Tony Mowbray has generally just turned up and has sat eating digestive biscuits, <laughs> and then today it was chocolate raisins. Another week it was Jaffa cakes. He, t- he tells us his biscuit choice before he gets into anything to do with the football. I can't believe he's only fifty-seven. He talks like he's like seventy-nine. He talks like he lived before the time when Santa was a thing, um, which is just odd. But nonetheless, he would be my choice. Second question, very, very similar, Brad, um, but slightly different. Which former Sunderland player, coach or manager would you invite to your Christmas dinner alongside Luke O'Neill and obviously the fam? The fam? <laughs> the family? The family. Oh, now former, you've got a lot of choice. Um, but for me, it would just be my heroes. Hero growing up, it, it, it sounds it might sound a bit boring, but it would be Super Kev every day, all day, every day. Um, there will be a few honourable mentions, but I'll not say them in case you've come up with them. Uh, but for, for me, it'd be Super Kev just to try and understand how he feels. <laughs> about not being picked for England as many times as he should, because that still pisses me off big time. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's my hero and I've only ever met him once. And that was like at a book signing when he was, when I was like seven year old at the Metro Centre. So I would just love to sit and talk about his career. Um, and he still loves Sunland as well, doesn't he? So you could just talk about Sunland and yeah, He's just my hero, so it's, it's, he's got to be there. I think um, I was lucky enough to do a, this is going to clang, but I did that talking with him a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And I tell you the most surprising thing about Kevin Phillips, because obviously he's only little. I mean, he's about the same height as me. I think I'm about an inch taller than him, so he's not like a dwarf, but he's only little. Um, obviously, he's still in really good shape. He can sink pints like no one's business. Like he was just sinking pints and just never getting drunk at any point. He just stayed in exactly the same demeanor, exactly the same glaze. Um, and he can really sink a pint. Nyron's exactly the same. I think I seen Nyron sink through about 15 pints of Guinness, wake up the next morning and do a podcast, and was in like absolutely pristine shape. Dave, I'm gonna pinch this turn for former players, right? I don't think you're gonna choose this person, I think we're safe. But for me, I'm going off the top of my head. I know I could have anyone. I know I could have legends such as Bernd Haas, um, legends such as Ian Rogerson and all the players I've been posting for Christmas calendars um, on the, the Twitter page. But mine would be Alex Neal. I reckon 
get a couple of cans down them. Right? I reckon you get the real reason. The real reason that he, he actually decided to go to Stoke and a bit more of the insight. And I think from my perspective, that'll be quite an interesting evening to have a chat with him over Christmas, watching a bit home alone and just getting some of the, the real the real stuff, you know what I mean? I know exactly why that conversation will go. You'll get a couple of cans and you'll go, because I'm a greedy bastard. That's why. Well, maybe wouldn't that would be a... You know my feelings on him, so I'm... But <laughs> I I'd, also, I'd also have Tony and Alex sat at the uh, sat at the table together. Now, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Method of my madness. Dave, who's your former player that's coming to Christmas dinner? It's... There's any number, isn't there? There's absolutely any number. But I reckon, I reckon for Christmas dinner, just to give it a bit of a European flair, I reckon I might have DJ Brill seats here. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea why. I just reckon it would be a fucking hoot. The party games at the end, I reckon it would be so savage and serious. He'd be kicking your nan off the chair and stuff. He'd be absolutely tapped. I've just had a vision of, like, I don't know why I've had this vision of Jibble CC stuff in the turkey. <laughs> oh, that's it, Jibble. Get 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 the apple in, mate. That's the one. I can um Jibble's not a bad shout, actually. So the dinner table, your dinner table would have Ross Stewart, who, as lovely as he is, seems like a very nice, non-eccentric man, alongside Jibble CC, who's the polar opposite. Um, both scored goals for Sunderland, which is important. With El Hadj Juf coming round to finish the drinks with you, I but didn't give him the butter knife. You've heard the story <laughs> about the butter knife. El Hadj, and stop having flashbacks to Ant on at Fulham at home. Put the butter knife down, son. Put oh, he's off again. Oh, and, oh, he's spatting the dinner. Oh shit. Um, right. I mean, un- uh, unconfirmed reports. We could bring Asmo Jan for some kind of like sacred offering as well. But, <laughs> I mean, that could just be that could just be some kind of rumor. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it, it, I mean, it, it's a hundred percent un. It, it didn't happen, but the rumor that he had something to do with some sort of ritual at some point. If anyone remembers that story, if you don't Google it, was a bit wild. Um, I might even leave that in. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, w- one more I was going to say, and I, I, I wouldn't invite him around for the dinner. I'd invite him around to cook it. It's only because I'm like sort of pals with him and he sends us some of the things he can cook. Danny Collins is like, he's, he's a chef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the bait he makes, I'd just like tell him to come around, cook me and Luke some bait and see how he gets on because some of his food is phenomenal. I wonder who would be like a bad cook. I reckon. Frankie. No, I think Frankie'd be all right. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be all right. Aye. Have you ever cooked Christmas dinner, Frankie? <laughs> see, I think Lyndon Gooch would be an appalling cook. Yeah, so do I. I think I think uh, you just get angry that the turkey's not getting done in time. Well, I wait, I wait, right, come on. He's like, he's an American magum. He's got to be able to cook a turkey, I'm sure. If there's all he can do, it's a turkey dinner. I feel, and I, I've got no rhyme or reason behind why I think he'd be shite at making Christmas dinner. So I'm not going to give a reason behind it because I'd just be making it up. I just was thinking of players there that I thought would be going to make Christmas dinner. Denver Hume. It just looks like he couldn't make dinner to me. 
can you have such a look as not looking like you can cook dinner? I'm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we digress on here. <laughs> people are just going to be like, oh, God, get back the reviews and previews. Not working at all. This We didn't say it was going to be good. We just said it was going to be Christmassy. Um, so I've got a round of defend the undefensible. So just to kind of give an idea of what this is, I'm going to give a relatively wild Sunderland opinion to Brad or to Dave. And they've got to spend exactly a minute defending it. Yes, it's ripped off the BBC. I don't think the BBC are necessarily 100% going to sue me. And if they are, then I'll see you in court, I guess. Um, But I'm going to get a stopwatch. I'm going to fire one sentence to you, which is an opinion which, in almost every case from a Sunderland perspective, is indefensible. Because Brad went first in the last few, so he's had the pressure. Dave's getting the first one. And it has to be defended. There's absolutely no way in hell you're going to be able to go, no, no, I can't defend it. You've got to come up with a general, honest opinion in a minute. You've got to convince me that this statement, which is completely indefensible, is correct. So, Dave, are you ready to have your first minute after I've said this? Come on, then. Let's have it, I suppose. Will Grigg was not a bad sign-in. He was just unlucky. you got a minute. <laughs> Can I just laugh for a minute? Is that loud or what? Um, listen, my favourite narrative. He was uh, he was proven at this level. He's got a cracking song. I mean, let let's forget about the facts that he had a proven record at this level. Let's forget about the fact that we didn't pay much money for him. It's just the fact that he's got a cracking song and forty odd thousand Macam singing that would be absolutely brilliant. So yeah, unlucky. Just the, the song didn't catch on, um, and basically, you know, if he had his time again, I reckon if we all got behind him with that song, then he'd be an absolute ultimate success. And I'm hoping you telling me that we've been a minute because I'm really struggling to defend the indefensible. <laughs> um, but you know, listen, he didn't want to come here. Uh, Stuart Donald wanted him to. Uh, he tried his best. He That's tried his hardest. That's oh, a minute. Then, you have Don't. not. You have not convinced me that Will Grigg was unlucky in any way, shape, or size or form. Um, Brad, you're next up. You're going to have a minute to defend what I think is the undefensible, indefensible, undefensible. Um, you might laugh at the fact I said undefensible when I tell you what this one is. Um, but you're going to have a minute. And you have to convince me that this statement is defensible. It is correct. It's not something that you might believe at the moment, but by the end of the minute, you've got to at least convince me that you believe that actually, actually, this statement is correct. So are you ready, Brad? Uh-huh. Right. So as soon as I finish, I'll put the stopwatch on. The opinion is, the indefensible opinion is, Sacking Lee Johnson was the wrong decision. Got a minute. Sacking Lee was the wrong decision. Well, to be honest, like he did go on a few bad runs, but he got it right afterwards. Um, and I'm utterly convinced after the Bolton game, seeing how de- dejected he was, I think he maybe he's put a few changes in. And I, I think he had the same group of players, really. He didn't want Jermaine Defoe there. Um, Defoe wouldn't have came in, more than likely. If, if if Lee had stayed, if stayed, and we wouldn't have had that saga and 
had them few games where we went on a shitty run. And I'm pretty convinced with the same group of players where the probably went on that unbeaten run towards the end of the season and went up automatically. Um, Bollocks. Bollocks. Yes, we wouldn't have had that good day at Wembley, but he played some good attacking football and we had some good attacking players in that team. Um, for me, it was ultimately, look how it's all ended up with Alex Neal. He's fucking shit on us. Lee Johnson wouldn't have done that. Lee Johnson would have kept us going, would have been maybe third in the championship now. That's That's a minute. Not bad. Didn't fully convince me, but you almost got there. You almost convinced us. More so than Dave, who just didn't convince me at all that it was the wrong Are we move. doing one for you now? You can do if you want. I I'm just going to use on the it. one that you put in the chat, but if no one else who's listening will know what that is. Oh, God, that's hard, that. But all right. So, Graham, here we go. I'll give you a minute in your topic and you know it's coming. Buying Jack Rodwell was the right decision for the club. Go. Cool. Well, at the time, when you really think about it, everyone backed that move. Um, we talked about signing you know, players that were important. I think after we finished that season where we had the great escape, we were looking to, to build on the, the next move. And the next move would have been you know, proven England international and he was one of the best in the country. We'd signed you know, players of that ilk before and it worked out or done relatively well. 10 million wasn't a, a bad move for the kind of years that he had left in him and the quality that he possessed that got him his move to Manchester City. Um, you could say that potentially he should have been looked at a little bit differently in the way that he could have been purchased with a bit more of an idea of the way they were going to play around him. And I think essentially, you know, when you really think about it, was the thought process just a little bit poor from the recruitment in terms of the way he was going to be playing. I mean, Lee Congerton wasn't very good and Poyet's been on this very podcast to say, you know, he felt the recruitment wasn't great. So I think the signing of Jack Rodwell in, in essence was 100% correct, but possibly just at the wrong time. So in many ways, signing Jack Rodwell was <laughs> the right decision. There's your minute. Did I convince you? Nothing will ever convince me that Simon Jack Wardwell was <laughs> <laughs> Well, you gave it a good shot. I'll give you credit for that one. I try my best. Again, Dave, you're done better than Dave. <laughs> no way Dave is going to be able to defend this, but he's getting it anyway. So this is, in my opinion, an undefensible opinion that Dave is going to have. So let me get my stopwatch here. All right. So Dave, the Sunderland opinion that you, right, we all believe is undefensible and you have to try and defend is that Ross Stewart is not the best striker in the championship. you got a minute. He's not the best striker in the championship. Well, listen, there's other players within the league who've been at a higher level, done it for longer, done it for more proven times. So, in that respect, there's... It's it's very hard to compare the fact that someone who's been injured for so long this season could be classed as the best striker in the league. Um, we we know what he offers, but maybe he's sometimes a little bit too unselfish. Whereas there's other other strikers in the league who are a little bit more selfish and a little bit more of a direct eye for goal. So yeah, I th- I think. I think Aloy might be able to, which is not me particularly saying that he uh, that he isn't, but 
I think the fact that it's too early to say that he is means that there's probably a good five or six strikers above him, personally. That's your minute. I, you know what? Sadly, as much as I love him, I think that, that might convince us a bit. I think there was pretty solid arguments, Brad. I thought he, put, he raised some points that could be debated and could be defended, which ultimately, to me, I reckon Dave... Annoyingly to himself, might have convinced might have convinced us there that Ross Stewart is not the best striker in the championship. He's wrong, but it was defended quite well. I felt um, like a Danny Bart header at a corner, um, obviously in a own box, not the opposition's, because we can't score them. So, Brad, I'm going to give you the last one, which I think is the toughest one because of everything that came after it. But I think it's undefensible but potentially you could defend it potentially so i'm going to give you a minute which is a decent work of time to be fair the opinion is darren bent made the right decision by moving to aston villa go um well at the time i always remember Niall Quinn said when he was playing for Sunderland, we were offered an obscene amount of money for Kevin Kevin Phillips. And ultimately, two seasons later, we got relegated and he ended up going for an absolute nothing. Um, which put, And you've got to think how much of a state the club was in with Bob Murray financially as well. That could have helped big time. Now, Niall Quinn knew that he didn't have the deepest of pockets, even though there was the Drummerville Consortium and they did sort of turn us around. Now, selling down Bent at that time is probably knowing that's the most we are going to get for this player and get a good reinvestment into the club. What was it, £24 million. Um, It was the next step up for Darren Bent, possibly, because at the time, uh, Villa, I think, were pushing still for Europe. And we were still sort of a mid-table team. Um, I think Darren Bent probably worked out for the best. You know, like, Not convinced. No. No, not convinced. I think, for me, Dave's give the most convincing argument in regards to Ross Stewart not being the best striker. And that's bizarre in many ways because I did not expect that to be the one that would be the most convincing one. I think everything else was probably not as convincing as it should be. Hopefully, that worked out quite well. Um, on to the next bit, which is probably a little bit more fun, a little bit more on topic. And I'll come back to you, Brad, with this Do one Do you not first. get one more? No. Because I could say, right. this one will be good for you. Mm-hmm. Resigning Jermaine Defoe was a good decision by the club. Oh. A minute. Go. Okay. So I was a big advocate of it. So I didn't need to convince myself that was the right decision for the football club. Now, as people know, I live in Glasgow. As people know, I watch an awful lot of Rangers football club. And Jermaine Defoe was scoring goals up until he was 38 with Rangers. Even towards the end, when he wasn't playing very much, that was more a case of they brought in extra strikers. It wasn't a case of he'd lost form, you know, in the, the Invincible season when they won the league completely. I think he scored about seven, eight goals. Is League One better than the Scottish Premiership? Probably not, or probably at least on par. So it made sense for him to come in. Um, I think probably the, the problem was the fact that they, you know, Lee, the situation with Lee Johnson... He was let go. Jermaine Defoe came in. So for a few games, he you know he didn't really play because we had Mike Dodds and Proctor in charge and we had that horrible little run. To be fair, that if he scores a goal in the Doncaster game, it could have been very, very different. 
for me, um, the Doncaster game was 100% the defence's fault. Um, it was a poor performance and totally should have been on a bit earlier. And if he came on a bit earlier, if he'd been tread a little bit better by bringing him on in 55 minutes, then he would have scored and then he would have shot us to automatic promotion. And that should have been how it worked. He wasn't given enough game time and he made the right decision by retiring rather than trying to desperately get game time. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I thought I might be all right with that. I think you might have scored as well because I'll give you that one. Fair I enough. Think, don't think I did too bad for that. Um, right, bit more fun, bit more on topic, uh, a bit more back to things that are completely indefensible. Uh, sorry, away from things that are completely indefensible. You can go back and you can relive one game, Brad, from 2022, but it cannot be any of the playoff games. So it can't be Sheffield at home, it can't be Sheffield away, and it can't be at Wembley. What game is it that you go back to and you relive from 2022 and why? Um, right, got one. For me, it was Wigan away. Uh, from a selfish point of view, it was the first time I'd taken Archie to the away game that we'd won because I took him to Accrington at the start of the year and that was appalling. Then we went to Wigan and for me at that point, I actually thought, because there was us, Wigan, Rotherham, there was a few teams in around the top and we just sort of started to drop off, I believe, because Alex Nader had just come in and we had that little rough spell. And at that game, I think it, it sort of the fans, the club, all felt together and we thought, right, these, these are one of the best teams in the league here. We can have a good go at this. If we just manage to turn up in their backyard and they've managed to do this stupid pack the stadium and then it's only half full and quiet and we've managed to silence them and then empty it on 70 minutes, we can do something in this league um, because, I mean, as much as people try and have this fake rivalry with Wigan, they were a good side last year. They were a really good side, especially at home. And we went up there. We went to their place and we embarrassed them from start to finish. Like we scored in the second, third minute uh, from a set player, which I think might have been the last set player we scored from. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a, a perfect performance really for me. And I, I believe if we didn't, if we hadn't have beaten Wigan and done it in that manner there's a chance we're still in league one right now it's a pretty fair assessment dave can relive one game from 2022 you cannot go back to any of the playoff games it's too obvious which game to go back to when we live and what for yeah i think for as much as i can't mention them in the playoffs i think the uh the five nil against chef wed that was in more... 20 that was in 2021 Oh, that was, was the it? last game of last year because that put us top of the league going into the new year. You fucking idiot. Not, not having it. You can't You can't be doing this an injustice out of 24 hours. I'm not having that. Um, <laughs> I'm not having it. Well, oh. Best game of 2021 minus the playoffs. Ah, 20. No, best game of 2022 minus the playoffs. Ah, 2021. That was a better <laughs> year. Oh. I mean, come on, we all know that my memory is the worst out of everyone's. So, <sighs> bloody hell, looking back through the resort, results. And that one thing, we loved a yellow card, no matter who we played against. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, was I there? I possibly was. Was I? I think I was. 
I reckon when we went to the Kassam and we ended up winning 2-1, I reckon I was. I reckon I was there in the old uh, Oxford. Three, yeah, three-sided yeah. stadium. And Embleton scored in the 89th minute, didn't he? Hmm. Um, we looked as though... We looked as though we'd threw it away as per usual, and uh, yeah, I, I do. I'm sure it was wet and windy and minging, and just what you need when you go into Oxford because, as I say, three sided ground, the old ball and alley ends wide open to the elements, and uh, yeah, Embo scored in the last last couple of minutes. Can you so, remember in twenty? Was it twenty twenty or twenty one when the seat when it was behind closed doors? <laughs> and there was the guys who went to the Oxford game and they sat on that open-ended with a pair of ladders on top of their van with a big Sunderland flag watching the game. <laughs> it was Goldie in that, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Oh, that was absolutely incredible. And the, and to be fair, the players noticed it and they went down to that end and applauded them at the end, which was fantastic. Um, The Oxford game was funny because I was in New York then. I was on... I was with, with uh, the Statue of Liberty. And I kept getting the score, and it was if you remember, it was one one for ages. Corey Evans scored, and then they equalised just before half time, and it was one one for ages. So obviously, I couldn't watch the game, and I was like, ah, a couple of minutes. I was like, one one, fair enough. Like this, not a defeat. It keeps us in and around the playoff spots, and keeps. I think it kept us in the playoffs at the time. And then as we got to like the Statue of Liberty, my phone went off, and it was like two one, Embleton. It's just like, get in <laughs> because at that point it was like. I think it was like early morning. I think it's, I think it's five hours difference. So it would have been well, it would have been like midday. So it was. Uh, I remember that really, really vividly. But but my game would be uh, at home. Mine would be a home game from this season, and it's the first time. Well, not the first time because the playoffs were. But if you forget the playoff game against Sheffield United and those, if we can't count that, which we've said we can't, I think the best atmosphere that we've had this season at the the Stadium of Light has been Wigan at home. Um, I haven't listened back to it the podcast on that on that day that the review that we did, but I remember being like when Serkin's header went in, it just like the stadium was rocking, and it was the first time it really felt like it was buzzing in ages. Um, well, not in ages, but it felt like it felt like old stadium light for the first time since probably that Chef Wed playoff game, and obviously if we can't include it, then. Then that's my that's my rule, um, and I'm not going to break it. But I thought the Wigan game was brilliant. I thought the fact that Charlie White scored and one of our former players scored, assisted by a James McLean cross to Broadhead, I think it was, and then oh, it was Broadhead to to McLean, and then McLean puts the cross in for White, and White scores. It was like, oh, here we go again. Of course it is. It's been written this, and then the fact that we turned it round and turned it round well, and um, with two really really good goals, really really well worked goals. I think Embo was the first one. Um, I, I want to point something a little bit here. There been a little bit of criticism at Embo during the week, not from everyone. It was only like you know some people, and they're entitled to that opinion, of course they are. But it's funny that we're just talking about these games, and Embo's played his part in two of them. Um, I I, I really like Embo. I think I said that last week, but I just sort of touched on it whilst I was there. But but I think they're three pretty solid games. Um, I'm quite happy with that. Only one home win, which is probably par for the course, isn't it? The way we've been playing at home this season, like, but um. Let us know what you actually in the comments. Let us know what you would think of that. I very rarely do that, but I'm kind of curious. I think I asked everyone what their favorite goal was today, and uh, Patrick Roberts won by an absolute country mile. Um, and of course, Roscoe's second, and then Embo Wembley as well. But 
Um, I loved Ross Stewart's goal against Chef Wed in the, the playoffs as well. I loved that entire period of time. It was just a lovely, lovely time. But um, second last one. So I'll come to you, Dave, with this. Um, switch it around. Change it up a bit. Change it up. Um, I wonder if people are still with us at this point. If you are, well done. Um, you can gift yourself one former Sunderland player from the past. Well, obviously it's from the past because he's former. Grim, you stupid idiot. Um, you've got a gift. You can gift him to the team. Um, however, they would come in at the age they are now. For example, if you said Kevin Phillips, he would come in at fifty years old. So, who would be the the former Sunderland player that he'd bring into the team? But bear in mind that if you brought in Quinny, he's not going to be as agile as he was, or or Phillips is going to be, in, you know, not going on for fifty. Love it. Love a thought provoking question. Um. Oh, Jesus. Who on earth would I put in there? The problem is with this game, if you're going to pick anyone who would actually make a difference, we've been in League One for bloody God knows how many years, so that becomes difficult. To be honest, so where am I going to go? It's going to be a centre midfielder, and I'm I'm completely digressing here, based on the fact that I still haven't got a clue who that. In fact, I have because I was on a um, I was on Bowers' pod earlier on this morning, and we're doing this, and I mentioned him, and he's still, or he was up until last year of the season before, still playing Champions League football, so or European football at very least, and I think we massively lack a centre midfielder who has got any legs and energy and box-to-box and a bit of an eye for goal and and rally around. So I don't want too many people to cry because it is a bit of an emotional one. But I'm going to go for Jan Mvia. Just based on the fact that, thinking about the fact that he could still actually do something for us um, because of his age and the fact that he's still playing at a decent level. So, yeah, good old Jan. Yeah, don't think that's a bad shout at all. And I think the midfield option makes total sense. I know Brad's got three, so I'm going to take mine next because I think I've only pretty much got the one. And mine might be dead obvious. For a little while, I was going to say Lee Catamore because I thought he's only about 35 or something. Getting back up to speed, he'd be all right. Crunching a few people, he can probably do the championship. And then I thought, well, hang on. If I want to strengthen the midfield, the answer's pretty obvious. For me, it would be Jordan Henderson. Every day of the week. Um, That's one of my... I mean, pretty much like a captain for England. I think he'd possibly be vice-captain if Harry Kane's not there and he's on the pitch. Seen his quality in the World Cup. He's still at a brilliant age. Um, I think everyone's seen that he's still very much an England first team and a good England team as well. Um, and I think people can see what the likes of Jude Bellingham and young boys coming through think of Jordan Henderson. He's a he's a Farrah boy, he's Sunland, so that counts massively for him. Always, it would never happen. But if I could put any Sunland player, a former Sunland player in the current team at the age that they are, Jordan Henderson would narrowly edge it over Jordan Pickford because I think we could cope. More with a, a Pato than potentially a, a Jordan Henderson. I think Henderson would be an absolute dream, but it's never going to happen. So, yeah, you pick, well, you've mentioned two of the ones I was going to pick. I mean, nothing against Pato, but can you imagine 
Pickford with his distribution with Ross Stewart playing off the last defender. That that's five five goals with an assist from Pickford there. So I'm going to go a bit different then, considering we have another injury crisis. Well, not crisis, but Danny Bart's out, and we need an experienced head, and he would fit in lovely considering his the the captain is his brother. I would go for Johnny Evans because he's still playing. Um, and he's what he's just a great centre half. He's had some career, and he's someone that I think the likes of Ballard, even Bart, could learn from him. Um, and I think at the minute, because with Bart being injured, we lack a little bit of experience at the back now. I mean, you say Bailey Wright, but you know, um, we've only got Luke, really, Adji, and Bart, who you can class as your, your main centre halves. And I think Johnny Evans would just slot in there, lovely just to help them through the last six months, the next six months. Can't argue with it. Good shout. Uh, Johnny Evans is a great shout. So one final thing. Um, obviously, it's just something a bit different. Really hope you've enjoyed it. We'll do it for us mainly, but if you've enjoyed it as well, that's great. Hope you're having a, a great Christmas by the time you're listening to this or if it's just beforehand, a great Christmas Eve or Boxing Day, whatever it may be. Um, if you're looking for the preview show and thinking, where the fuck's the preview show? I recorded it the other day. It's there as well. Um, and that's it for a Christmas episode, pretty much. Um, I don't know how I even how I feel about it, but hopefully you felt well about it and hopefully you've enjoyed it. And most importantly, I hope you're having a lovely Christmas. Um, feel free to tune in after Christmas when we'll have our regular reviews and preview shows and other stuff when we fancy it. But Dave, Brad, have a good Christmas. The listeners, have a good Christmas. Um and thanks for thanks for tuning in all throughout 2022. Merry Christmas, everyone. Cheers, buddy. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Mm-hmm.